0: analysis edition of the EPO Weekly Podcast. I'm Ellis Palmer, your host, and I'm joined by Greg Lee, a freelance football writer writing on the Premier League for the National and the editor of IB Football. How are you, Greg?
1: Yeah, very well, thank you, Ellis. Yeah.
0: Indeed. How How did you find last weekend's fixtures? What was your top game of the week?
1: Yeah, quite good. It was the Saturday games obviously were were a little dull with the lots of nil nils and low scoring matches, but Sunday was, was well worth the wait. We saw four big games and the title race, of course, another another chapter in that and we're gonna be speaking about Tottenham, but also interesting match to see Chelsea win so convincingly at Everton.
0: Palace hey, day? you're sort of safe now, but still it can't have been very rewarding to watch your team go down 2-0 to Burnley, can't it?
1: Yeah, not not mathematically safe yet, so I still think Another win would is kind of needed just to take that take those nerves away from the fans, but yeah, it looks like it should be safe. But great win for Burnley, their first first win on the road all season, so they've they've secured their place in the Premier League for next season now.
0: Let's get stuck in and look at last weekend's North London derby. Tottenham at home, the last ever North London derby at White at the Old White Hart Lane, at least against Arsenal. Tell me a little bit about the narrative of the match, going into the match.
1: Well, it's one of those games in previous years where Arsenal have obviously, they've always finished above Tottenham in Vendors period at the club. And as such, they've often come into these games, if not as favourites, then as kind of maybe an equal chance or, or a good chance of getting something. But this season, it really was, everyone seemed to be tipping a Tottenham win. And that's how it turned out. It was really comfortable for them. Goalless in the first half, of course, but Spurs had lots of chances then to take the lead. And, they were just better than Arsenal in all areas, I think, which is which is a big concern for, for Arsenal fans, not just because it's Tottenham, but if this was any big team who they're trying to compete with for trophies or for a place in the top four, if you get so comprehensively outplayed, I think, and not really have any complaints about the final result at all, I think that is a worry, and it's something we've seen over the years with Arsenal in terms of their record in away games against the big teams. They very rarely kind of, adapt their their tactics or or their approach to suit those matches and as a result they they often don't pick up any positive wins or or even draws at the moment so yeah I think going into the game there was obviously the narrative of the the fact that Tottenham could essentially confirm the first time finishing above Arsenal for two decades but Tottenham's focus was probably more on on what they can do in the title race the supporters will obviously have loved the fact that that they got one over on their neighbours and their rivals but Maurizio Pochettino afterwards was keen to stress that his focus was on trying to win the Premier League, not on a local rivalry, and who finishes above who in that respect. So, very good win for Tottenham, and in terms of the narrative, I think it just confirmed what we already knew from before the game.
0: Indeed, and tell us a little bit how the match went. I mean, those two goals were fantastic from Derriere and Harry Kane, weren't they?
1: Yeah, in quick succession as well and in any game, but particularly away from home against such a good team as Tottenham. I think if you do concede, you want to make sure you, the crowd don't get up. You, you can kind of breathe for the next five minutes of the game and not not hunt an equaliser immediately, but at least stay in the match and then kind of want, wait for the game to settle down again and then try and get back into it. So to concede almost straight away after that first goal, it kind of confirmed Arsenal's The fact that Arsenal weren't going to get anything from the match. So I think that was a big disappointment. But Tottenham had chances in the first half, Dele Alli, with that header at the back post, which under pressure from Otzle Chamberlain, he kind of flicked wide. But I think he scores that more than he misses if you repeat that chance 10 up, 20 times. Christian Eriksen hit the bar as well. Toby Aldevera, I think, had a header into the side netting. So Tottenham were definitely on top. Arsenal had a couple of shots of their own. But if I remember correctly, I think they were mainly from outside the box. I remember Aaron Ramsey hitting one. Hitting two, I think, actually, but not what you would call clear-cut opportunities. So when the goals did come, I don't think it was an inaccurate reflection of the match at all. I think Tottenham were on top up until that point. And the fact they got those two goals in quick succession really killed off Arsenal's hopes. And I think, I can't remember the exact minutes, but something like shortly after the the hour mark until basically the 85th minute, there was a period where Arsenal went 23 minutes without having a single shot which I think is obviously a bit of a damning indictment on Arsenal given they were chasing the game. But you've also got to give credit for Tottenham because when they play at White Hart Lane especially, they're so good at essentially playing the whole match in the opponent's half at times. They just overwhelm teams with their press and they win the ball back so quickly. If they don't win the ball back with the first kind of wave of pressure, then they force opponents to to kick the ball on and then they give up possession that way. So I think that little stat there where Arsenal went basically a quarter of the match when they were trying to chase the game without even having a shot. I think that kind of sums up how good Tottenham were and how bad Arsenal were and and how fair a result this was.
0: We love a good start here, don't we Greg? We love a good start.
1: Yeah, well you're normally got better ones than me, so that was my little contribution for today's one.
0: Dani, just the kids. 20. I say kid. I'm only 22. But the kid's 20. He's incredibly young. He's incredibly precocious talent. He's he's fantastic to watch on the pitch and I genuinely think when Spurs brought him in and paid five million from MK Dons, I don't think there's many teams that would have been prepared to take such a risk. But hey, the risk has come off, and he's an amazing talent, isn't he?
1: He is, yeah. And when he first joined, I think five million is a good price. Obviously, it looks even more better, even better now. But at the time, I think maybe people expected he might go out on loan, kind of gradually. He might be a player we see maybe even next season, so almost in his third season at the club. We might kind of see him make the breakthrough, but he's obviously one of the best youngsters around at the moment, not just in the Premier League, but I think in the whole of Europe. And Pochettino made him an important part of that team almost instantly. As soon as he saw him, he decided he wasn't going to loan him out. He was going to kind of give him a, a prominent role within the squad, and that's paid off. And we've, we've seen him evolve a little bit this season, I think, last year. He often played central midfield at times last season, um, early on before moving to the number 10 role with... Dembele and Dyer behind him there is definitely a question mark over whether he can be called kind of a midfielder now he's playing in such advanced roles he's getting goals that you would associate with strikers more more than midfield players because he is so advanced at times but the fact that he is still so young I think you can forget that quite easily and if he does go through a sticky spell next season I just hope that the the expectations on him now aren't unrealistic and they any kind of downturn in form for a short period of time isn't kind of written off as as what happens as a young player as a young player of course because that is what can happen so yeah an amazing season for him I think one thing that this match and and just the whole season for Tottenham highlights a bit like last season it's it's so hard to pick who their player of the year should be because in this game alone you obviously had Ali scoring Kane scoring but you had right through the team, you had stand performances. I thought Sonny and Min had some great moments. Christian Eriksen is such a good player as well. And my two standout players were probably Jan Vatondin and One Yammer. and that's kind of going right through the spine of the team. You, you've had stand performers all season long, and in this match, almost in every position, Tottenham just got the better of their direct opponent. Um, the Tottenham players won, seemed to win all the duels, all the individual battles there, and, and that contributed to their win, of course. But... Deli Ali, yeah his record is, is amazing his goal scoring record and I do wonder how he continues to evolve and whether this kind of second striker position is is where he eventually kind of settles on as as his leading position or whether he might kind of take up more of a number 10 role again but uh, yeah at the moment he, he's doing everything right and his record this season in terms of goals scored for such a young player who's not that long made his debut in the premier league is, is really impressive
0: I mean also, you talk about Dele Alli and how fantastic Dele Alli has been, but Harry Kane seems to have been around for years and years now. But you forget that Harry Kane's only 23, don't you? And he scored 21 goals this season. He's the top scoring English striker in the league, only behind Romero Ukaku, who scored 25 goals this season. And I think Kane's an incredible talent. It's quite easy to forget he's only, he's only 23. I mean, I did a podcast of a Spurs family last week called Jesse, Jesse, um, and you can scroll down in your podcast feed to find it, guys. It's a really good podcast. But she was surprised that he was only he was only 23. She thought he was 27. And I think it's quite easy to forget just how young that spine of Spurs' team is.
1: Yeah, definitely Kane. He, he does feel like he's been around for a while now. And, and he has because he's had three very consistent goal-scoring seasons, scoring to, over 20 goals in all three of them. This term he he missed kind of a large chance with injuries. Had that recent injury problem um, which he sustained against Millwall in the FA Cup. But if you look back towards the first half of the season as well, he did miss a fair few games there. I think around September October time with another ankle injury. So the fact that he's managed to break that 20 goal barrier again despite missing kind of a fair few games is only adds to kind of how impressive that achievement is. And he is so consistent and so reliable, scores a lot of goals, but. When he's not there, you miss him not just for his goals, but I think you kind of realise what he does bring to that, that attack. And he does he just kind of knits everything together, I think, that focal point up front. And Vincent Janssen's obviously struggled. Son Hyun Min has played up front in his absence a little bit. But as good as, as Son is at, at what he does, I think when Kane is absent, you really do realise what he does bring to the table. And just on Tottenham more generally, as you touched on the young players there, it's it's something that makes the achievement even more impressive, I think, I think Pochettino, his success at Tottenham has been a triumph for coaching so far because he's improved so many players. He's given the club and the team a, a clear identity, a clear style of play. And just if you look at most players that are in that team now, it's hard to find one who hasn't improved under Pochettino's guidance. I think the fact that he works with, he likes working with young players definitely suits him as well as a manager because if you're trying to implement this kind of high-tempo pressing style of play, it's often more beneficial to have younger players A, because they tend to be fitter and and more athletic and also because they're more willing to buy into that idea of working hard. If you're trying to do that with seasoned professionals, it can be hard to get those ideas across at first until you start seeing that it does bring success. So it has worked both ways. But Pochettino's ability to improve these young players and and create a team whose average age is still much younger than most most of the clubs they're competing with at the top is really impressive and and just another reason that why Pochettino is is such a highly sought after manager and, and one of the best around at the moment.
0: I mean people talk about Pochettino and how fantastic he was then and that, that is true. His coaching methods have been absolutely fantastic. And he's improved so many players, but there's also a lot of players in that Spurs team who wouldn't have got their chance had it not been for Tim Sherwood during his time at the club and the work, but Sherwood did as uh, the director of the academy there as well. Now Sherwood's not having the best time at Swindon at the moment. In fact, while he's there at the football, he's been relegated this season. But actually, I think what um, what I did at Tottenham was bring through a lot of younger players and they got to give them the opportunity to establish their name, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, that's that's important at all clubs. I think if you have that that kind of link between the academy and the and the first team and and bringing players through, I still think it, it's hard. I think sometimes with judging academies because you it, it's harder to know who kind of is is responsible for that type of thing. But I think Pochino definitely deserves. A lot of the credit for for just being willing to give opportunities because we see with some managers that they are reluctant to do that. and often you do get very good players coming through the academy for which the academy staff obviously deserve great credit for that. But I think once you start talking about them as first team players in in the in the realm of that first team squad, I think that's often down to the to the head coach, the manager to decide who who is good enough or who he wants to give opportunities to. so. I think, yeah, definitely Tottenham as a club deserve great credit for for producing players like this, but I think a lot of it still has to go to Pochettino for for being the one who's willing to give them opportunities in the first team, because I think all clubs in the Premier League have great players at academy level. The difference is that a lot of them go on to forge their careers elsewhere rather than becoming important members of, of the first team at that club. So I think it's a combination, definitely, and it's a setup which Tottenham... Again, off the pitch, we talked about their identity on it earlier, but off the pitch, they seem everyone seems kind of working together, working towards the same target. They seem to to know what they're doing in all areas. I think this summer will be will be a big one in terms of recruitment and stuff because although there's not much you could say needs improvement in that team, I think we saw last summer that that was the one area where they it didn't really work out. A lot of their sign-ins haven't really come off in the manner they would have wanted. So. That is a test and obviously everyone else will be improving in the summer in terms of their rivals at the top. So obviously there's still work to do because they haven't won anything under Pochettino yet. But I think the fact that he's produced such a good side while kind of lowering the average age, reducing the wage bill at the club, got some of the high earners out in his first season there. I think it's really impressive the job he's done and in a way you kind of would want Tottenham to see Tottenham to be rewarded with, with a trophy at some point. As a neutral, I, I have no interest in, in that per se, but yeah, I think it's always good to see managers who work in the way that Pochettino works rewarded for that. So I think the title is still it's still going to be out of reach personally, but they've made great progress and you can't deny that Bochgino has done a, an amazing job so far.
0: We're going to go for a short break now and then after that, we'll be back to talk about Arsenal and their roles under Arsenal-Wenger. And also the games this weekend and, this, and the end of season but await both Tottenham Hotspurs and Arsenal. I just thought I'd take a quick break here to tell you all about the other podcasts that World Football Index has available. That's Football Grad on Russian Football, Dagan Pressing on the Bundesliga, the Champions League podcast, the Sound of the Liga on Guess What? La Liga and the Serie A sit-down, focusing on the Italian game. WFI is also global. We've got great coverage in the Americas too. The South American Football Podcast and Don't Call It Soccer on the MLS and the Legal MX are great lessons. The Copa Libertadores podcast is also well worth checking out. If you're warm for nostalgia, we've got a monthly World Cup series taking you up to Russia 2018. And the 11 Pieces of Me podcast, where football fans and journalists construct their favourite all-time eleven. Last but not least, the tactics pod with Stevie Grieve is our most popular pod of the week. Discover the variety of high-quality analysis we've got at World Football Index by checking out our feeds on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your podcast of choice today. Welcome back to this edition of the EPL Weekly Podcast. I'm here analysing Spurs versus Arsenal from last weekend with Greg Lee. So, Greg, we've we've talked about the narrative, we've talked about the game itself, and we've talked about Spurs as players under Mauricio Pochettino. But I just want to touch on the FA Cup finalists, Arsenal, and their seeming woes under Arsenal Wenger at the moment. I mean, they're in sixth place. They're probably they're pretty sure going to finish outside the top four this season. They're six points off the top four. They've had five defeats in the last 10 games, four draws and one, sorry, four wins and one draw. I think they're just going to have to suffer outside the top four for a season, aren't they, don't you think?
1: They are, yeah. And I think in previous years, they've done brilliantly to get in the top four every year. You can't deny that at all. But the competition has never been as strong as at the top as it is now and is deep with six big teams who all kind of start the season wanting to win the title let alone just finishing in the top four I think if it was kind of coping for a season without the top four that's doable for any team Chelsea we were not in it last season they obviously come roaring roaring back I think the concern for Arsenal is that going into next year if you're looking at the start of the season I would guess we obviously haven't seen any summer signings we don't even know the managers at all these clubs there could be changes there but I, w- I would suspect that at this at this moment in time, you would kind of think Arsenal would probably maybe finish six next season as well, or at least be the the favourites to finish sixth or outside the top the top four. So I'm not sure whether this is going to be a a moment where it's kind of a one-off, or is this in fact the start of something which at least in the current setup at Arsenal could be something which we see next year as well, and that is the concern because. I think part of the reason it seems why Arsenal have been so loyal as a club to Arsene Wenger is his ability to continually qualify for the Champions League and also get out of the group as well. It's often remarked that he kind of gets them through and gets them in the top four, but he also always seems to qualify them for the knockout stage as well. They've never really in recent years gone close to winning the competition there was a semi-final. Against Man United, there was obviously the final um, against Barcelona ten years ago now, eleven years. But I think that that is the value that he brings to the Arsenal board. So you do wonder. I think he will stay this summer and extend his, his contract by two years. But you do wonder if that is no longer kind of a given with Wenger. If he no longer offers this guaranteed um, participation in the Champions League and the revenue that that brings, you do wonder whether that will change maybe the relationship between him and the board in terms of when and whose decision it should be to look for a successor and at what point that decision should come. So yeah, I think in terms of this game, it was almost a microcosm of everything that that has been wrong with Arsenal for a while. Spoke earlier about their record in these big games, particularly away from home, is, is very poor and they were just a team kind of without a plan, I think, compared to, compared to Tottenham. Tottenham, every player knows exactly what he should be doing, both with the ball, without the ball. There's a clear identity and a way of playing that that it kind of gets the best out of all the players they've got. Whereas Arsenal, I don't think you can say the same, unfortunately. And yeah, I think they will finish sixth this season. The top four is now surely gone, despite their game in hand. And then you kind of have to think, if Vendor does stay, what what is the plan next season, and can they realistically improve enough to to overhaul two of the teams above them, finishing the top four? While of course, as I said earlier, that all these teams will be looking to improve as well. So. It's a big ask for Arsenal and the concern might be that maybe this is the start of a protracted period outside the Champions League rather than the kind of a fleeting single-season moment where they have to kind of just just swallow their medicine and get on with it. I, I do wonder whether this maybe is a sign of things to come at least for the next two, three years if ended of stay because I can't see there being enough of an improvement to overhaul some of those teams above them.
0: First off, it's scary, isn't it, to think that that Champions League final was 11 years ago. Also, at that point, seem to be in a bit of a decline in terms of the league, anyway, they haven't won the league since the invincible season. But at least they they were very, very strong in the Champions League. But this season in particular, they haven't necessarily been as strong in the Champions League, have they? And secondly, what does this derby defeat mean for Arsenal in the immediate situation because it seemed to a certain extent that the pressure had been taken off him because they qualified for the FA Cup final but now having lost the North London derby does some of that pressure come back on do you think
1: yeah I just think with Arsenal that the pressure was off yeah you're right it did kind of ease the pressure slightly um, in terms of that that FA Cup semi final victory, but I think Arsenal is just going to be it's almost the same story. I think there will there won't be a, a straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of one result changes everything in terms of the board's mind and and the future of Arsenal. Vendor. I still think whatever happens, he'll probably stay if he wants to um, for another two years. I think this this result kind of was predictable as we as we said earlier, but yeah, I don't think it's it was enough to to really change that narrative and the fact that it looks like vendor will will stay if he wants to because we've we've seen numerous defeats like this in recent years even this season earlier this year um the away defeat to liverpool matches like that where it kind of always happens there was the the one at chelsea as well where they lost that away from home and you kind of think oh does this really change dramatically the the scripts or the or the future of vendor and i don't think there will be a moment like that i think if he wins the FA Cup final, it obviously eases the pressure in in the sense in that moment um, because that's a great achievement to win any trophy. But I don't think it does enough to alleviate all the questions and the doubts that, that, that people have voiced throughout this season and in recent years. Um, so, yeah, I don't really think there will be a moment which either swings it definitively one way or the other. I'm not sure Wendrick can unless he wins the Premier League title, the Champions League, something like that. I'm not sure he can kind of stave off this pressure for more than a few days. Um, I don't think any single victory will do enough. Even the FA Cup, I don't think that will do enough to to kind of quieten the discontent and the the voices against him for much for a long period of time. And at the uh, at the same time, I don't think any any defeat will will do enough to kind of push him out because it just seems that Arsenal live in this this cycle which is pretty predictable and it, it seems to be fulfilling the way the way we expected it to go and I think, yeah, whatever happens for the remainder of the season, it looks like the top four's gone, whether or not they win the FA Cup I don't think that will change uh, drastically anything to do with, with the future of Arsenal Football Club
0: We talked about the young players that Spurs have got but let's also talk about the players that have been disappointing at Arsenal, I mean Oxxo-Chamberlain's been sometimes he's a, he's a very, very good player, sometimes he's distinctly average and doesn't really deserve a He's in the starting lineup or even in me in me a team make the team. And you know, you look at that, you look at Aaron Ramsey, who's who's had some difficult periods, you look at Kieran Giggs, who first came into the team, looked like a really solid left back, and yes, he makes the starting lineup normally, but he's no longer the the real talent you you, you expected him to be. You could say Arsenal have sort of underseen a, a decline in the British
1: talent, could he not? Yeah, because this was a, a big thing that they made a big deal of a few years ago. I remember they seemed to I think they lined up all of their these players' contracts to be extended and it was kind of announced all on one day and they would, the club were clearly making a big point of this because if you think back to Vendor's early tenure there was often criticism, um of, of his kind of unwillingness to blood English British players. He often Brought, brought players in from abroad. I think that's a lot more common now, obviously. So the criticism he got at the time was probably shaped by the fact that a lot of managers were still looking primarily at, at British players. But yeah, I think I think to be fair to Vendel, you can't just blame him for any kind of stagnation in um, the contributions of people like Ramsey, who, who clearly clearly hasn't progressed in the manner that some people thought. But at the same time, Vendel must take ultimate responsibility if he's not getting the best out of any player. Ramsey clearly for example has, has great talent great ability and if you put Ramsey in another team in the top six, you have to question whether some of those managers will be getting more out of him but yeah I don't I think it's kind of almost it's hard to blame solely the manager for that type of thing Oxlade-Chamberlain actually think there's not been too bad he's obviously playing in this win-back role at the moment where he's never played before um, so you've got to have sympathy for him if it, it takes him a little while to adjust I think in that case with Oxlade-Chamberlain you, you're kind of thinking it's hard to blame the player too much if his performances in that unfamiliar role, especially on the defensive side of the ball and not maybe as accomplished as you might want. Um, and I actually think Oxlade-Shablin has done some good things this season and played quite well for, for the most part. So I do think he, he's one who deserves a bit more time in terms of his progression. He's a bit younger than some of the others as well. But Ramsey, yeah, is definitely one who there are question marks over and it appears that his career is kind of reaching a crossroads at the moment. He's entering what you would call his peak years soon hasn't yet taken that next step that he's threatened to make for for a few years now so at the age of 26 I think he does need to kind of take that next step soon and I think the fact that he hasn't you you kind of look at at Wenger and the player himself and it's almost like a collective responsibility for that.
0: So moving on to this weekend's games we have some big games and I say big games Spurs on Friday night face West Ham at the London Stadium. Tell us a little bit about the narrative going into that match and how you expect it will pan out because Spurs still could considerably ramp up the pressure on Chelsea. They're only four points behind and if they win, they could be a point behind the presumptive champions. So nothing is looking very secure in the top of Premier League at the moment, is it, Greg?
1: No, and it is interesting with how the fixtures work out in, in these title run-ins because Tottenham this time play first, which really could pile the pressure on Chelsea. Like you say, if they move to within a point of, of Chelsea, who play on Monday night against Middlesbrough, that's a game that Chelsea surely will win, and you've got to fancy them quite comfortably to, to come out on top in that one. But I think if Tottenham can get the result, then it, it does put a little bit of doubt in Chelsea's minds. Um At the same time, if Tottenham aren't able to to win, if they were to lose, for example, it gives Chelsea a great chance to move even further clear in a home game against a team who are on the verge of relegation. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a decisive weekend again. I, I think that Tottenham's chance is probably gone now. I think last weekend was the one where you think Everton away. That's a very tough place to go. Everton have won previous to that game. They'd won so many matches in a row at home, maybe eight or nine, something like that in a row. So that was the for me. That was the time where I thought if there was going to be a change at the top and Tottenham were to sneak in, they really needed to close that gap last weekend. So you've got to give them great credit for responding to to Chelsea's win, really convincing against Arsenal. But the fact that when you look at Chelsea's running and the the opponents both teams still have to face, Spurs have got Man United to come as well, and then Hull away and Hull are very good at home. Leicester away as well. Um, I think. Chelsea's run in has very very favourable compared so I think four points is still quite a lot at this stage because it, it means you have to drop points in two matches to to turn that around so I think Tottenham unfortunately for them it's probably gone but they're in great form at the moment and you can't really it's hard to really look past them them adding another victory to the to the tally they've got this season this weekend because West Ham little left to play for for them and and Tottenham are in such good form that They look unstoppable at the moment. So, yeah, I I think Tottenham will win. But whether it will be enough to to overhaul Chelsea at the top, I'm, I'm a bit doubtful at this stage.
0: I remember back in 2012 when my team, Manchester City, won the league. And it seemed like the most unexpected thing was going to happen. I think we were eight points down with something like 10 games to go or something like that. And you just thought, no, we've lost the title. This isn't going to happen. We can't win the title now. But when you get the momentum behind you, you get some wind in your sails and suddenly you find yourself on the verge of winning a title. And I think Spurs fans have got a similar amount of momentum going into the last four or five games of the season. And I think potentially that momentum could be what sees them win the title. I mean, if Chelsea lose or Chelsea drop points, then... Ultimately, the title could be in Spurs' hands and, you know, they are only four points behind. I mean, how many times have we seen teams overcome a four-point deficit before to go on and win the league or stave off relegation? It's unpredictable, but you've got to admire the momentum behind Spurs and say you can't write them off.
1: Oh, yeah, you definitely have to admire the momentum and the the form they're in, which is brilliant. And at the very least, they'll finish as as comfortably the second best team, the runners-up this season. So... Yeah, I don't think um, you can take anything away from what they've done. I just think, I take your point about the fact that Leeds have been overhauled. I know you, we were talking before about Manchester City a few years ago when they won the Premier League title and Man United obviously were were ahead at, for I think seven points at one stage, weren't they, towards the end of the season and ultimately didn't go on to win the league. But I think if you look at the kind of fixtures from that season, uh City obviously beat United in a Manchester derby, didn't they? Sets a chance to take kind of points of your direct opponents. I think um, United drew at Everton; they dropped points there um, at home, so that's a tough game. I think when you compare the points different, uh, sorry, the the difference in fixtures between kind of games such as that when you're playing a direct title rival and a team like Everton who are always tricky. If you compare that to Chelsea's running, it, it's kind of hand picked. I think Antonio Conte probably couldn't have chosen a better running: Middlesbrough at home, Sunderland at home, West Brom away. Um, Watford at home, so that's three out of four are at home where they've where they've been so dominant. They're either against teams who are already relegated. That Middlesbrough could be gone by the time they kick off on Monday. Um, Sunderland are already relegated. Watford have little left to play for, and West Brom are the same, and they're not in great form. So, if you're thinking that Chelsea have got to drop two points in that, uh, sorry, not two points, sorry, they've got to drop points in two games in that run, you could maybe make a case that away to West Brom is tricky. But then you're thinking they're going to have to drop points against Watford, Sunderland or Middlesbrough at home. Um, I can't really see that personally. And also you've got to consider that Tottenham have then got to be perfect in their remaining four games, which they're looking pretty perfect at the moment. Um, West Ham, I think, as I said, I think they will win that. But their last two the games are really tough. Man United at home, who, despite the fact that they've been a little underwhelming at times, you have to remember their unbeaten record at the moment is is really impressive and they just don't lose games at the moment so it's going to be a big ask even for Tottenham to to defeat them there um, and then Leicester away. Leicester are one of the informed teams in the division at the moment and then Hull on the final day away from home who it looks like will still be fighting for survival then and have a, a brilliant home record behind that Marco Silva's not lost in front of kind of his team's own supporters for for over two years now I think it is so I think that is very tough in those games for Tottenham to make it up but at the same time that doesn't take anything away from what they've achieved in the past couple of years and how far they've come because with these things I think it's always important to remember budgets and wage bills and things like that it's kind of not very romantic of course but the cold fact is that Tottenham should on their, on their budget and their money spent should be finishing sixth. so if they finish comfortably as runners up that, that's not too bad an achievement for them at all so they've got to use that as motivation to go one better next season so not to take anything away from, from them at all I've been really impressed with them once again this season but Personally, I just can't see Chelsea dropping enough points in those matches uh, to make this title race the kind of thing that that can go right up until the final day. I think Chelsea will have it wrapped up by then.
0: The league is not over until the final, final whistle is blown. Now, let's move on to talk about the other team lost the North London Derby. They face an upper mid-table clash against a fellow former great, Manchester United on Sunday. The 1600 kickoff. It's Arsenal at home at the Emirates against Manchester United. Thoughts going into this match, Greg?
1: Big game. Um, Arsenal will want to keep pushing for the top four, even though it's unlikely now, but they won't give up until it's mathematically impossible for them to finish in the Champions League places. United as well, they, they keep dropping points at home. Uh, we saw that last weekend against Swansea as well. But the fact that Manchester City didn't win means that they are really still in touch for the top four. And I know that Mourinho is kind of. Targeting the Europa League. Well, we don't know that for sure, of course, but it looks like he's targeting the Europa League because I think if you can win that, you not only do you qualify for the Champions League, but you also get a trophy. So it's kind of a double win there. But it is a bit of a risk. Knockout football, things can happen. There could be a referee decision which goes against you in one of the legs, which can be decisive. You can just maybe not turn up, not have a great day at the office, and suddenly you could be two two goals down, say, going into the second leg. You could get to the final and and just be kind of. Fail to, fail to give a best impression of yourself on the day, things like that. Just things could happen in knockout football. So I think it would be a bit of a concern for for United fans if they totally threw in the towel in the Premier League, banking on success in the Europa League, because then if they don't get that, if, if something goes wrong there, then then it is a risk. But at the same time, they've got su- such an injury crisis at the moment, United, that it's going to be tough for them to compete on both fronts. So maybe we'll see Mourinho rest in a lot of players in this game although a lot of them will be kind of rested for him in terms of being sidelined. So I think the fact that injury crisis will, if, if Mourinho was considering perhaps taking a more expansive approach at the Emirates, I think any any thought of that will have will have vanished with this latest injury crisis, particularly in defence. So I think he'll set up very conservatively, play on the counter-attack, reactive football. And his record against Bender in the Premier League is, is amazing. So he's never lost to him in the Premier League. And despite all those injuries, you kind of think, I could kind of personally see a game where Arsenal had dominate the ball, struggle to break United down and United kill them on the counter-attack as they've done um, over the years. Even with Sir Alex Ferguson in charge, that was the approach he often took. He let Arsenal have the ball. Um, He kind of combative midfield. Darren Fletcher, I know, was a player who he he often used in these games. Um, And United ultimately tended to get the job done. So I wouldn't be too surprised by that. But I'll probably sit on the fence for this one and go with a draw because I think if, if Mourinho had a full squad available to him, I, I would back United. But the fact that I, I think the defence could be—I'm trying to think—who's available? Valencia or right back Ashley Young, um, maybe left back Matteo Darmian might have to play centre back with David Blint. So you're kind of talking about two players in, at centre half who who aren't centre halves—they're full backs—and two players at full backs who used to be winners, at least, and are only recently, in the Young's case, converted to that kind of that more defensive role. So very makeshift. I think that might prevent United from getting the win, so I'm going to go for a draw in this one.
0: United, I mean, they're, they're on a pretty good run of form at the moment. I think they won beaten in 25, 26 games in the league, but they've had three losses all season, which is pretty exceptional. It's been the least losses of it. They're equal in terms of losses with top men, but they've had 14 draws this season. It's the most draws of any team in the Premier League. Indeed, in my last 10 games, they've had... Five draws and five wins, and you just got to think: had Mourinho converted some of those draws into wins, United would be certainly up there in the second or third position in the league, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's sometimes it's hard to kind of say, oh, well, if if this team won this game, they'd be they'd be top of the table or whatever, because every team can can point to certain matches, of course, where where they perhaps deserve to win. Uh, I'm thinking of Man City, for example, in the big games. They've often created many more chances than their opponents in those matches and tended not to finish them. And, and if they'd have won some of those games, um, you obviously deny your opponents victory or a draw and you pick up points yourself. So um, obviously, I think every club could, could point to certain matches. I think the thing with United is that when they've dropped points, it's it's often been in games they really should have won either I think sometimes they have created the chances. I remember at home to Burnley earlier this season, they somehow drew 0 0 despite kind of battering Burnley. But against Swansea last weekend, a draw was a fair result. So that has been the, the real disappointment for them. I think Mourinho, you've got to give every manager time. But the one thing about Mourinho is that he's never been a coach who's who's been kind of his specialism has never been to set up or to form a, an attacking process or system which kind of creates chances independent of the the ingenuity, the instinct of the attacking players on the pitch. Someone like Guardiola, he has that kind of, his training sessions I know are dedicated to kind of that attacking that attacking process in terms of certain. he divides the pitch into zones, doesn't he? And um, you can have no more than certain people in each zone and the attacks are very coordinated. Mourinho, the impression you get from the outside is that his his specialism lies in kind of setting a team up defensively and does he... Can he create um, an attacking process which, which can create chances in that manner? And, and I think that does tend to, the question marks tend to come up in, in these home draws that they've had. Because if you look at the statistics as well, United have had, I think Southampton are the only team in the division to average more crosses per game than United, which again, in that light, it, it almost suggests a, a kind of a lack of, lack of subtlety at times in these matches. So that is, that has been Eric at his heel. At the same time, you probably think if they'd won three of those, which they they probably deserve to, then you're right. They really would be right up in the top four picture and and pretty comfortable in that position, really. So Definitely, it's a thing they need to improve on next season, um, but their resilience cannot be denied because that unbeaten run is is such a long time. And that is very hard to do in the Premier League, in any league, in fact. So Arsenal and Tottenham, who both have to play United um, at their home grounds in, in the coming weeks, I think... those are tough matches because united for maybe they do lack at times a bit of quality um in the final third in terms of goal scoring but they're they're solid and they they don't give up too much so tough game for arsenal and, and united as i said before i think they really don't they shouldn't be relying too heavily on on the europa league because something could go wrong there and i think if they can they can win as many matches as they as they can in the closing weeks of the campaign then you might go into that Europa League final with a top four spot already secured and that really would take the pressure off.
0: Greg, I always love speaking to you. Where can we find you?
1: (laughs) Thank you, Ellis. You can find me, I'm on Twitter at Football. also on Facebook, um, gredley, I think Football as well actually, facebook.com. I don't use that one as much, I must say. So mainly on Twitter where I post um, all my articles and any other thoughts on that? So, yeah, you can, you can reach me on there.
0: Welcome back to this WFI EPL weekly podcast. And joining us is the Arsenal fan, Arsenal fan and freelance football journalist, Chris Weir. Chris, what were your thoughts on that game as an Arsenal fan?
2: Well, as an Arsenal fan, aside from the usual crying and gnashing of tears, this, this was a game that had a real sense of an ending about it. And I think the, the, the stadium works ongoing surrounding the ground really added to that sense. It was the clearest indication yet, the, the unavoidable conclusion, that Tottenham are the biggest team in North London. The manager is better, the players are better, um, the investment has been better, the tactics are better, the the future looks brighter. It's just, for an Arsenal fan, we've always relied, no matter how bad our season has been, we can always rely on St. Tottenham's Day, which is the day when Tottenham finally live up to the reputation as being flip-floppers, as, as butlers, and they're they're not anymore. That tag has unfortunately transferred to Arsenal, but the game itself, you know, it was a it was an okay 45 minutes to begin with. Arsenal were crap as usual, um, but we didn't concede, and that, that is a positive. But the second half, it was just safer and an absolutely stonking performance from Petr Cech, It could have been about four or five 0 and it was an, uh, It was an embarrassment. The team selection, the formation, the attitude of the players, the application. I mean, everything that, that we've accused Arsenal of all year, it just reappeared in, in this game. It's hard to get um, animated about it anymore because the longer this goes on, the more apathetic fans become. And I find I struggle to get animated enough to be angry about it anymore because it's it's just not worth it. It's like screaming against a brick wall and expecting change, but doing the same thing over and over again. It's pointless. There's there's a long-term rot at the club. Something needs to change. And Wenger's attempt to change the formation to the 3-4-2-1 hasn't worked out. There needs to be a whole rethink of, of recruitment policy, of training, of tactics, A root and branch reform if the club is needed. And you, you might think that dramatic, but for a club that's had stasis for the past decade almost, if this wasn't Arsene Wenger, would any club in Europe stand for this? I don't think so. I think he's the, the last of a dying breed, but I think it's a necessary change the club needs to make. I just don't don't know what else to say really. This was just ninety minutes of salt rubbing into gaping wounds. Chris, do you feel that you know? Obviously, Arsenal's reached the FA Cup final.
1: Do you feel that in doing that, it it will make any attempt to get
2: to get rid of Wenger in the summer that bit much more difficult? And especially if you win it. You know, obviously, we we saw Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool get, get sacked after reaching two finals. But I'm just wondering what that all means to you, number one. Um, obviously, I, I
1: imagine from what you've been saying, it means very little in the grand scheme of the season. Uh, but but if you were to go on
2: and win that, and, you know, it's, it's the FA Cup final, anything can happen on the day. Do you see that as being an excuse then for, for the board to keep Wenger? I, I don't know. And Wenger and Arsenal have won the FA Cup. I think it's, if they do win it, it'll be the third time in maybe four years. And and we're still talking about the same problems, we're still reading the same opinion pieces in the newspapers and online about how Arsenal needs a drastic change. And the FA Cup win, whilst being welcome, you know, any trophy is welcome. The fact remains, and I don't like saying this, but the FA Cup is a lesser priority for the big teams. And and that's just fact. You can tell by the way teams approach the games in the FA Cup that, that this is how it is. The priorities are the, the Champions League and the Premier League. And yes, we had we've repeatedly qualified for the Champions League we also repeatedly go out in the round of 16 we haven't been within a sniff of the Premier League we should have won it last year and it was thanks to our collapse and our inability to capitalize on the poor performances of other teams that Leicester won the league last year I think I know I just I can't see an FA Cup win as redeeming Arsene Wenger at all and it's difficult to sell that because I grew up with Arsene Wenger as a manager I haven't known anything other than Arsene Wenger and this style of play but I've also watched as other teams have aped on the best of his methods and the best of his playing styles and really built on them whilst he's implemented the same ideas, bought the same kinds of diminutive, um, skillful players, has let difficult characters leave the club and brought them in with sort of nice schoolboys who who are good on the ball but lack a bit of bottle in the fight. And I think the club will continue to pay that price for the stasis if they continue to let him run the club, which looks likely with the rumors of a contract extension on the table. I just can't see things getting better until there's a change at, at, in the managerial hot seat.
0: Also, looking at that game at the weekend, one of the things that really struck me was the fact that Spurs have brought players in or developed players from the academy. They brought me to the first team and they've really developed them and really pushed on them. You know, Pochettino is known for his harsh coaching methods. Where was Arsenal Wenger? has brought some top name players in. Alexis Sanchez has been the exception to this role, but Mesut Ozil and players like that has brought them in and they haven't really developed. And certainly some of the young players that Fenger has brought in from the academy or brought in from other clubs have really been disappointing, wouldn't you say?
2: Uh, you make a key point there because I think finger has always traditionally been known as someone, as a curator of talent, someone who takes a quote-unquote rough diamonds, polishes them before selling them on for maximum value. He seems to have lost his touch on that. And a few years ago, you know, we were making these same comments a few years ago when Wenger decided that the the solution to all the problems was to develop a British core of players. You've seen the likes of Gibbs, of Wilshire Callum Chambers, you know, Aaron Ramsey take on key roles. Alexis or Alex at Chamberlain as well take on key roles in the in the club. And unfortunately, none of them have delivered. Gibbs, he started against Spurs. I don't know why he started because he's barely started the game all year, and he was a game, he's a, he's a limited player in my opinion. Uh Ramsey has had a horrible season. He scored 16 goals I think two years ago, and has been living off them since. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, he's done well on uh, on the right wing in this new formation, but he just looked a player bereft of of ideas against Tottenham. See Walcott, I think the less said about him. The better he's just useless. And Callum Chambers, of course, is and Jack Wilshire both unknown. I know Callum Chambers scored a, a goal for Middlesbrough on on Saturday there, but he's he's just been um a disappointment. And it's 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 strange and it's unsettling that none of those players have kicked on under Arsene Wenger. I'm curious about the 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 way that these players are being developed. That that they're probably Getting more or may get more development outside of the club than they're currently getting. Um, I just don't see any of them as having the necessary fight. You know, the fight that you would traditionally associate with a with a British player that's sort of will to win. I don't see that in Theo Walcott, and I've never really seen it. I don't see it in the Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. You know, are, we're buying British? We've had British players, but are they the right type of players? Do they have that commitment? Do they have that desire? And um, the evidence on on the field is is plainly no. Um, I don't know what you guys think about it. Whether you agree with me or not. Just
0: to close this bit off, Chris, I think the momentum is with Spurs to win this league title. Now, I'm a Man City fan, and I remember back in 2011-12 where Barry thought, well, oh, we're not going to win, we're not going to win the league, we're not going to win the league. You know, it's going to be too difficult." Eight points we were with we something like eight games to play, and we thought we weren't going to win the league. But gradually, 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 you built up the points. United lost games and everything like that. And the momentum was with Man City. Looking at Spurs now, they've not lost in their last nine games. They've only lost one of their last 10 games in the league. And I just think the momentum has to be with Spurs right now. It's four points. Chelsea could still slip up. Psychologically, if Tottenham win on Friday night at West Ham, That could tip the balance in their favour if Chelsea don't have a good result on Monday. Now there's a lot of ifs and maybe's here, but I just think Spurs have a lot of momentum, don't you think, Chris?
2: They have a lot of momentum and they have a, a lot of informed players. I just don't think that Chelsea have an in them to collapse. Um, even if Chelsea do draw a game, they still have that that point, a cushion of, and I, I just can't see them collapsing for a, a prolonged enough period to, to welcome in a, a, a you know a Tottenham surge. Tottenham have been fantastic and, and they were fantastic last year as well but last year they, they collapsed and, and let Leicester in um, they won't do that this year And but I just think they've left it too late and mm. Chelsea have been too good you know Chelsea have their blips but they, they're very quickly to recover from blips I know that they lost against Arsenal in it was quite comprehensive fashion and then didn't lose another game for months and after the defeat to Manchester United again straight back up getting results and they're against Everton they looked fully in control and in command and they know themselves that you know it's within their power and they won't be in any kind of mood to let up now particularly as I think Gary Cahill mentioned in the post-match interview that they're aware of how much informed Tottenham are and the focus is there I think Conte will be drilling it into them that they can't afford to step up even one percent because Tottenham are on their heels and credit to Tottenham and and Pochettino in particular who's She's really revolutionized the club from top to bottom alongside da- Daniel Levy you know they're a medically impressive 21st century club and they're a model that you know every club in the Premier League should aspire to um, wise investment wise training methods um, and brilliant tactics and training they, they really are accrediting themselves and they should enjoy this because the work over the past 18 months and 2 years has, has brought them to this point the key for them now is next season they need to win the title this, they can call this year a progression because of last year's collapse, but if they want to keep the players like um, Deli Alli and Harry Kane, they need to win something next year, I think that's natural progression. If they want to keep hold of their manager also, now he's always declared it his project. This next year will be their chance, I think. Given their, their, their form, if they can carry over this form into next season, I think they have just as good a chance as anyone and credit where credit's due it's not easy for an Arsenal fan to admit how good Spurs are so but even still they deserve it
0: Chris where can we find you on social media
2: yeah you can find me on Twitter at ChrisW45
0: what have you been writing recently
2: yeah as usual you can find me on worldfootballindex.com with the weekly EPL roundup I also do a few articles on European football for you guys Um, you'll also find me on These Football Times on the recent issue of These Football Times magazine and they've recently published on 442. So let, have a look at the articles, check them out, and let me know what you think.
0: That was a great piece on 442, mate. Well
2: done. Cheers, thank you very much.
0: Indeed. I've been Ellis Palmer. This has been the WFI EPL Weekly Mega Podcast, focusing on the North London Derby at the weekend. As usual, you can find WFI's great content by scrolling down through your podcast feed on iTunes or SoundCloud. And you can follow the podcast at WFI EPL Weekly. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great week.